All right. Take two. I recorded 45 minutes of this episode and then uh, felt like it was bad. So here we go again. Haven't done that for a long time. And um, you know what it is? Uh, it's I'm under the pressure of I'm traveling to this festival on uh, Wednesday morning. And uh, I'm I'm like a little stressed out. Not stressed out, but I'm I'm just gonna go right into this. I'm scared, guys. I'm scared that like I'm just scared. You know, whatever. Everything is dr- everything is a journey. Everything is zigs and zags. You think you have it, and then you hit a patch of feeling like you don't have it. You have uh. You know, there's, it's just, it's just back and forth, you know, and um, and sometimes you f- don't feel, you don't feel good, and then sometimes you do feel good, but um, I'm not going to indulge in that for too long. Uh, I actually feel really positive. Um, I want to thank everybody, everybody. Thanks from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much, all the people who who uh, wrote on the the uh, post that I made on Grading Animals asking for what you love about the show. That all went into the pitch document that I made, and it looks amazing. And not only that, but that whole pitch document, I'm so excited about it because it really is the promise of what I always wanted to make with Grading Animals. It's really cool. It's not that many pages, but it's like... Uh, it's a, a cool presentation about grading animals, and it's it's very pure. It's very pure, and it's it's almost written like a grading animals episode, like the whole attitude of it. Like, um, the document is called a leave behind pitch deck, which it means that like you know if you have a meeting, you leave it behind, like after you talk to somebody. But I called it a uh, leave no animal behind pitch deck. Uh, and it and it's just like a zany. The whole thing is written in like the zany grading animals tone, and then it ends with like four pages of all of the the comments, all of those comments about what the audience likes about grading animals, all your stuff. So, like, in completing that, it felt so good to um, to look at this thing and feel like this is what I spent the last three years making. Um, April fifteenth was the three-year anniversary of grading animals and um yeah like it's it's pretty crazy i feel pretty i feel good that um that i'm getting to go uh to this festival and we'll see what happens i have a i do have a positive feeling about it but that positive feeling is not without its own like um you know uh, so it, it's like life is a sine wave, and wherever you crest, just know that like right around the corner is a dip, and then there'll be a crest, and then there'll be a dip, and everything is like that. I mean, it's almost like why would the why would the like um, things like temperatures or like barometers or stock markets or um, the ocean or waves or the like the ocean itself or the um the pattern of summer to fall uh to you know to win you know summer fall winter spring be like on this axis of like hot and cold like everything in life is ups and downs so it should stand to reason that like our emotions have the same sort of um momentary uh dips you know peaks and valleys oh <sighs> It's good to, when you're feeling like this, just remember to breathe. That's something that uh, I learned. Um, and yeah, so so I'm going on Wednesday morning, and I have like just a day more to, um, to prepare. Um, and uh, yeah, and I shut this episode off before... Uh, just, just before I was 45 minutes in because I was feeling, um, I was feeling the exact same way that I, that when back when I, uh, 
used to do that a lot um, weeks ago. I haven't done that since I got um, my new job, which I, I didn't have today because it's on spring break. But um, I think the good thing about that new job is it it just makes me have to just like I'm I come come home on Mondays. I'm tired as fuck from both jobs, and then I just turn this shit on and then say whatever, and it doesn't matter. But uh, today my pattern was broken, and who knows? Maybe that's the reason, or uh, maybe I let I let that aspect of me get the better of me, and it it is a bad thing that I allow that to happen. But who who knows? Who cares? It's just what it it, it just is what it is. Um, I do feel a little like dizzy right now. Um, I really like what how depressing. If I, I I really hope I don't get sick. I'm I'm not. I'm like in good spirits and stuff like that but yeah so um let's just take a look at some of these suggestions i know there was one suggestion from last week and i actually did it on the last episode but i'm gonna do it differently i'm just gonna try to try to uh talk differently about it so um carrie in common a friend of the show also artist a fellow artist he asked what are some of the best places to travel to or to visit and um Last episode, I said, or not last episode, early in the in the in the lost episode that I chose to stop, I said that I did talk about um, my old job when I was a photographer, where I had to travel around the world, and I and I said that I went to Marino Maritima in on the Adriatic Sea in Italy, and I also got to go to Vancouver, and I got to go to Berlin. And I got to go to Cologne, which is also in Germany. And I got to go to Puerto Vallarta. And I got to go to various places around America, like Salt Lake City and um, uh, Milwaukee. And uh, where else? Where else? Um, where else did I go? And sit? Oh, yeah, Florida a trillion times, like to... Um, Oh, that's actually that's now we've found somewhere not something novel, something novel, and that I didn't mention before. So, has anyone ever been to the Gaylord Convention Centers in Florida? Have you? Has, have, do you know about this? Do you guys remember the biosphere? Do you remember what the biosphere is? It was this um, gigantic glass enclosure that they were going to try to recreate a um, like a natural biome in. This is like. 1990s shit but back in the 1990s they they tried to make a, an entire glass enclosured like natural habitat with like a jungle and a desert and an ice uh you know ice biome and um all different biomes and it was going to be like maybe we could terraform the moon or something like that um anyway the this so it didn't work, unfortunately. It sounds cool. When that thing came out, I was like 11 years old, and I wanted to make the uh, the biosphere like an animal sanctuary. I actually, I when the biosphere came out, I, I got a bunch of paper, and every day I was drawing up plans to make um, a biosphere, my own biosphere, and that I would somehow get wild animals to live in it, and um, like really no other purpose than that. I mean, it's so it's so terrible that you know uh, when you find out that the world would never sustain something like that. But to a kid, it's like, yeah, why would all you got to do is you got to build like a billion dollar, like a billion dollar uh, glass enclosure somehow terraform all these. Um, biomes to like be adjacent in one building and then uh, just get wild animals to live in there like no no duh like right um, it's also and then you think about all the things that that are possible and do happen and you're like well maybe that kid isn't wrong how is it that things happen in this world how is it that things are willed into existence I think that um the, uh, I read somewhere, where did I read it? Matt Diffie, the cartoonist, he said one time that in life, 
you have a few big swings in you. And then when you have taken those swings, you settle into um, whatever those swings have wrought. It's almost like you shoot for the moon and land into the stars, but in a much more cynical way. Matt Diffie is a great cartoon cartoonist. Definitely check him out. He uh, does stuff for The New Yorker, but he does a lot of his own stuff. Um, and I, I think that that book, that's in one of his books. But uh, yeah, Matt Diffie is pretty good. Taking a few big swings in life. But uh, yeah, like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why... Um, the biosphere wouldn't work. You know what I've been hearing a lot of times people have been bitching about? I've heard a lot of times people are bitching. Everybody uh, seems to like love the phrase late-stage capitalism. I feel like it's so corny. It's so corny to, to blame what is just human nature in its purest form on some shit that, sound, that has like a cute-sounding ring to it. Like, listen... If um if you ever see like a bunch of like pre-K or kindergartners excluding each other or being selfish or being shitty or being like um blunt and mean, that's not capitalism. That is uh animal and human nature that is born unto us. Whenever like um teenagers like immediately like look at some like kid that's not to like their local culture cool enough and they like exclude that person that's not capitalism that's that's who humans are so i feel like it's um i don't know maybe it's cuz i live in new in new york and new york is like the nexus of like stupid corny sayings that become popular like remember when people would say this is like going back 14 years but remember when people would say awkward do you do you guys remember that are you a relic of another time and remember when people would say awkward it was like a it was like a colloquialism nowadays colloquialisms are spread through tiktok i think i think tiktok is like years ago when you were in high school when you were in high school like some stupid phrase would go viral amongst your friends like often it would just be some word like some like cute word combination that had no meaning on like unto itself but was just like everybody it like it might have been like making fun of a teacher or something like that and it would just like proliferate and it would like work its way into like the local vernacular but now i think that like that's what um like so that's what memes and social media like uh, like evolved from it's like the uh like simplistic pointlessness but like on a um machine like like machine like a machine um has accelerated its uh production <clears throat> yup dude it's just we're just going to rock through we're just going to rock through we're going to i don't know was that attached to a suggestion yeah that was so so carry in common, those are the best places to visit. You want to go to Florida, you want to go to the Gaylord um, uh, Hotel. There, it's actually a convention center, and it is in a biosphere. So if you wanted to know what happened to the biosphere, the, um, the chain of uh, Gaylord Convention Centers basically franchised the idea and scrapped the biome part of it and just put you living in sort of like a um like when you go into the Gaylord uh convention centers it's a gigantic glass enclosure and then it's a pre like a it's like a fake uh like um like one is like a tro- tropical one is like Texas they're all in these themes and um yeah and i think it's definitely worth checking out you should check it out i also in the last episode said uh, you should extensively travel through Canada across the country. And I gave a shout out to everywhere from Vancouver to Edmonton to Saskatoon to Winnipeg to Riding Mountain uh, National Park in Winnipeg, in uh, Manitoba. Uh, I skipped over Ontario because I haven't visited really. But then I gave a shout out to uh, Montreal, um, Quebec City, Saguenay. Also to uh, St. John, uh, Halifax, um, 
uh, uh, Prince Edward Island, and also uh, North Sydney and Cape Breton Island. So, shout out Canada. That's the that's the other place you should definitely visit. That's one of the that's um one of the best places. So, yes. So, and um, next suggestion is um, Adam and Chains nineteen ninety five says if a bivalve, an oyster, for example, could commit suicide. And if so, how would it go about it? So last episode, I um not last episode, the episode, the ghost episode, the the episode that that hangs like a specter over this episode because I was too um insecure to finish it. I got can you imagine getting forty five minutes into the episode and then bailing on it? Like that that's how I feel right now. And and then I not only live with that, but I also lift live with the 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 question the great question mark over my head like what is that in me that does that and is that like a sickness and is that a um a portent of of uh, of of other bad things i don't know probably not but um this question about a bivalve committing suicide so a clam like a clam or an oyster i mean what it, what the hell is that? Why is that considered a living thing? I mean, I'm not sure. Like, first off, the shell of it is doesn't feel like it. I don't consider a shell to be alive. I also think that had I not, had we not known, I guess like what happened? We saw that a a like um. We saw that like a crab or something, or not a crab, but like a seagull was eating a, like an, an oyster. And then we were like, oh, okay, I guess we could eat that. It just doesn't seem like, I don't know. Yes, obviously it's it's alive. Obviously it makes pearls if it eats a piece of sand. Did you know about that? But like otherwise, I don't know. I don't feel like. I understand why those things would want to commit suicide because th- there's not much going on. Like, if it accidentally like gets too far, if it gets too far close to the close to the sun, like not the sun, but <coughs> see, like I I'm gonna have to skip over this question, um, Adam and Chains, 1995. Like it's giving me, I'm short circuiting even thinking about this problem. So, I mean, like a clam and then it commits suicide the best i could do is whenever i think of a clam or like a bivalve or an oyster i just think of like it has like lots of like i don't know like labias inside of its clam shell right like it's got all these like gooey it's got like sort of like flat like other other like you know almost like not even pussy lips but like Sort of like under your tongue, like if you go under your tongue and you see that little like little line that like holds the middle of your tongue together, I just imagine the inside of an oyster is all of like this like little fleshy, slimy things, right? So let's imagine that it like exp- it like upchucks its slime lining, right? And then the slime lining gets covers the shell, right? So then what you'll have is like you'll have like a reverse um, suction so the outer shell can't open because the slime from the inside, all like the labiums are like covering over the shell. So then like it can't open its clam mouth, right? And then that's how it would commit suicide. All right, cool. I'm back, dude. All right, so let's go back to... um, the suggestions for this week. Let me see if I can rock through them. Um, so, Grabnut Wheatsack. Shout out to Grabnut Wheatsack. Haven't heard from him. I got to really do a live soon. Maybe I'll do a live in LA. I think I will. Um, he says octopi mech suits. So, octopi mech suits. So, it's long been said that octopi are going are the smartest animals and have just been biding their... T- in fact... They say that um, that the um, the 
the uh, police officer of the ocean is the killer whale. And you could kind of see it because their killer whales look like a cop car. Um, and they just basically kill everybody in the ocean. Um, but then who is the commissioner? Who is the one pulling all the strings? Well, obviously, you'd never know it, but like the real like mob boss of the ocean is the octopus. The octopus is in charge of all of the, basically, the whole entire ocean underworld is controlled by the octopus. The the one octopus who controls it, the 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 um the giant octopus, and the octopi are just biding their times until they will um, take over the Earth. But the problem that they have is... It's a very simple problem. Um, Octopies are made out of ball sack material. And if you've ever... If you have a ball sack, if you're a man, then you know that it's like this stretchy membrane. But it also... It contracts in in the cold and then it expands in the heat, which is why during the summer, even though it's not nice... The reason why guys used to manspread on the uh, on the subway trains is to unstick the ball sack from the inside of the leg because it would just get stretched out. See the see what women don't don't understand about that is it was like you're trying to get that because your the ball sack membrane can get very sticky, and then it's like nothing you can do. Like you'll reach into your pants and you'll separate your ball sack membrane from the side of your leg and then within two seconds your ball sack membrane is stuck like fucking like 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 mouse killing glue like mouse trap glue to the side of your leg and you have to like unstick it again and it just really becomes a problem so you have to like you have to like try to like like open your legs up to get like the requisite dryness on the ball sack so that it doesn't go get sticky again but of course like you know um this was misconstrued to be some type of like um i don't know uh like it was like it used to be a really big thing there was a really big situation about when men would man spread on the subway train and now it's like not even worth it cuz you know you go on the subway train and who knows you playing you're playing roulette to who's going to get exploded right because now all you hear about is people just getting exploded on the tr- on the subway trains of new york city so you know, it was uh, the halcyon days of worrying about a man who was trying to unstick his ball sack when a, when a woman wanted to spread her pussy lips on the subway train. Who knows? You know, this is, it's a crazy world we live in. Anyway, the octopuses are like that. Octopuses are made out of ball sack material. And one of the issues is it's not going to last on, lo- on land for too long when they try to take over the earth because of... Because of the sun. The sun is actually... All animals in the sea, their worst enemy is actually just the sun. Even though the sun also bakes all of their food in the form of uh, plankton. See, if the sun didn't come out every morning and start cooking up the little algaes that are inside of the planktons, then, then most of these fucking sea animals wouldn't have nothing to eat. So even though they're so afraid of getting sunburned, Meanwhile, the sun's doing that, so it's what you call a um, it's what you call a devil's paradox. It's what you'd call a um, like hey, is it's like you know my nephew was reading the uh he, my my sister was reading him the story of Passover, and he goes, hey, is God a good guy or a bad guy? And I was like, now nah, that's a that's exactly that's just like how the sea animals feel about the sun, um. So what's happening in octopus technology right now is that they're trying to figure out how to make an octopi mech suit, which um, is a problem because the octopuses, while they've, while they have the killer whales going all over the planet, all of the ocean planet, killing all the animals because, you know, they're killer whales, they've not developed a, uh, an infrastructure for production. And so, grab not wheat sack. The the octopi mech suits will unfortunately not probably come out before the ocean is completely rendered useless by us um, uh, shitting into it for um, forever. So, 
All right. Keaton Richard asks, eating animals or free will? So this is a question that is like, J-Caps, you're into animals, right? And I'm like, yeah. But then they're like, what about eating animals? And I'm like, yeah. Wait a minute. Do you meet? Are you going to not like me if I tell you that I don't mind eating animals? So the way I feel about eating animals is um, I feel that, I've said it before, I feel that humans are just a type of bug, and we do not, um, we are not in control of the direction of the species. We are in control of only partially of our own lives. Um, and as our sphere of influence expands to like having families and shit, and maybe even having a business, you're still at the mercy at the mercy of the randomness of life itself. If everybody was in control of their own destiny, think of what they would achieve. Everybody wants to do stuff, but the things that they want to do are often beyond their grasp. So how much do humans actually uh, intend? They actually sort of um, wake up every morning and uh, like try to lean in the direction of their hopes. And then just like the, my just like my nephew when uh, being read the story of Passover, they find that like God is sometimes a good guy or a bad guy and also doesn't exist. So should we eat animals? Um, I mean, if humans stopped eating animals because of um, like climate change or something like that, then and and if everybody like got on board with it, I wouldn't even think that it would be that it would be happening because of climate change. I would think that it would be some type of um, understanding that humans had uh almost like the way that uh we like like um all over the world uh uh houses and like dwellings were either like circle or square but like nobody told humans to do that it was just like yeah that's about how we would make that we would make like a square or rectangle or circular style living um like even though like they didn't nobody like went on um the internet to check like how to build the thing i would think that that in the same way if humans behavior changed it would be because like we understood it as like a type of behavior that we know that like we are doing in reaction to um to uh, like a st stimuli, so yeah, who's uh, like maybe maybe that is something that uh that might happen, but also maybe not because you know we like humans like evolved our brains because of eating meat. Um, yeah, so I think that like we have the free will to eat animals or the free will to not eat animals, and um. You know, I don't really judge anyone, uh, you know, one way or the other. I think that um, any type of, like, I'm going to try to do something good for uh, for the direction of society is um, a naive, idiotic thing to do. Because um, you're, like, you know, if you want to feel good about it, then do it. But, like, you're not changing anything. I, you know, I think it's... You know, there's a billion, there's billions and billions of people, and um, you can't control any of them, and you can't control their children, and you can barely even make the things that you want to happen happen. You can really try hard, but even if you try your hardest, there's no guarantee that the things that you work super hard for will happen. You can hope, but hope is not a uh, like um like a tangible quantity
All right. So Sheila the Tuba has asked me this question many, many times, and and I think I've always um, got distracted or not answered it. Sheila the Tuba asked me what my favorite um, poets and lyricists are. Uh, It's a great question. So poets, you know, even though I don't, like, I'm not crazy, crazy. Okay, I will say, number if we're going to say a poet that's, like, still fucking cr- crushes it every time I'll return to his work, and this is not, this is not, like, like a, a fucking uh, super indie pull, but, like, it's just, it's great. I think Pablo Neruda. I think Pablo Neruda's love poems, they are the greatest, right? So... Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great poet, right? Have you ever checked? I remember I fucking, I think I gave, uh, a girl that I was in love with, a Pablo Neruda poems, um, back when I was younger. And let me tell you, it felt like, it felt like a a very pure expression because I was that much in love, (laughs) you know? And I think like sometimes like when you're, especially when you're young, like that is a that is a type of na- naive and open love that like you almost like hedge against as you're older because like you're never going to be as um i think that like as you get older you get a little more aware and jaded so like those those like young loves are like in like have a particular um they have like there's like something beautiful about the 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 naivete of the whole of the of all those experiences but i remember um i remember giving uh like a book of of um pablo neruda poems to a to a girl i loved and um yeah, it was it was cool. I think that I think that I I always think back, and every time like I'll I'll return to some of those poems, I'll be like, damn, you know, this really, this really captures it. This really captures that aspect of life. Um, another poet who I'm always fucking big shouting out, but I'm not really even talking about his poems. I'm always talking about Rainer Maria Rilke and letters to a young poet, um, who I would have never found out about. If it weren't for an actual huge influence in my life, Bo Sia, who was a poet. And this is a cool thing that you bring up, Sheila the Tuba, because I just, um, Bo Sia. So I'm going to go back and, and sort of tell you guys a little story, and it will illuminate um, like who I am a little bit. So back in, when I was a teenager, uh, I, would, uh, I, would, I would go to the city I was from Long I've always been from Long Island and I would always go to the city so that I could um you know the city was like a portal to like the world you wanted to be in. I think maybe the reason that I've never strayed far from New York is because like New York City is like where everything is. It's like what else where where else would you want to go? I mean of course there's places of course there's other places you would want to go. There's so many other places that you should go and explore. There's, of course, but just having New York City, like a train ride away, was magical, right? So when I was like a teenager, I would go to St. Mark's Place, like, um, you know, the, uh, like, it was like, you know, the storied St. Mark's Place of like the punk scene and, um, there was a place on St. Mark's Place. There was a store called See Here, and it was a store that sold zines. For, it was a specifically a zine store. I mean, this is like the most 1990s shit you could get. And when I was in high school, I made a zine. In fact, the town that I was from, Valley Stream, there, were, there was a disproportionate amount of teenagers making zines, so much so the Village Voices Long Island version paper wrote an article about Valley Stream and included myself and various kids who were, like, involved in, like, this zine scene. (coughs) Anyway, I would go to the city 
and um, I would go to that store, and I, I discovered a zine by the writer and poet Bo Sia, who at the time was going to NYU. And this guy had these incredible poems in in them. Like, he had these incredible, incredible poems. And um, I, like, I was so, like, impressed with them that I wrote to, I wrote to him. And um, he wrote me back. And he was, like, um, he was, it was actually very cynical because he 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 name checked uh Reiner Maria Rilke's letter to a young poet almost like um what you want from me you should get from Reiner Maria Rilke's letter to a young poet so just to clear up what i'm talking about Reiner Maria Rilke's letter to a young poet letters to a young poet is a book that was collected about 100 years ago or more uh, probably 110 years ago where he was a young writer, just had his first two books out, and a kid who went to his old military school started writing him letters of like, "What's my like? I I want advice on my career," and they had this back and forth correspondence. Only only Reiner Maria Rilke's letters are in the book, but it's incredible. Like he has he has this. Like, just totally solid perspective and advice about how to live as an artist and how to be okay in the valley of silence and failure and unknowing. That, like, the book of the of this advice that he gave to this kid is has become more famous than any of his poems. So when when Bo Sia said that I should read that book, it's almost like, yo, I'm not like whatever you want from me, like just get from this book. But I was still a fan of Bo Sia, like even though that and then and then later on, he ended up getting on um, Deaf Poetry Jam, which was a TV show where they had poets on it. And um, and I followed him. I followed his career. Like I'm not even I don't think like I love the stuff that he does now that much, but. Um, ironically, he, years and years later, he wrote a poem called Letters to a Young Poet. And, um, it, I think I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to recall it right now. Uh, this here, how, here's how it goes. It's called Letters to a Young Poet. And it goes, reimagine your definition of results live a full life let a full life be defined by you and you alone get to the answer by asking more questions you can choose to give to give labels less power why um why um destroy yourself getting lost in 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 pure identity your craft has depths you will not you will not see the fuck i should look it up your craft has depths you will not reach the limits of. It will live in you long after the pen has stopped, has stopped sequencing. How you distill evolves. Take time to... Oh, fuck. I, I, it sucks that I can't remember it. I, it sucks I, that, it, that I can't remember the whole fucking thing. I, I should just like... Fuck. Maybe I should... Hold, I, I'm gonna, hold on a second. Find it. Okay, so I have one of his books, and it's published 
but it's not written in the same in the same quality as the um as the as as his live performance of it. So okay, so I'm gonna read it. I think yeah. Reimagine your definition of results. Live a full life. Keep doing this forever. Let a full life be defined by you and you alone. Get to the answer by asking more questions. Titles only have the power you give them. Proving yourself to the external will exhaust you. You will lose yourself in fixed identity. You have as much writing in you as you do. Listen for what the words are showing you. Reject the parts of praise that will bind you. Reject the criticism intended to hold you down. The plan is greater than any one of us. Learn to respond to the harm in others' perceptions with more honest mirrors. Your craft has depths you will not reach the limits of. It will live in you after hands have stopped sequencing. How you distill evolves. Give yourself patience to savor. The silences offer more than quiet. Touch what all this work is for. Anyway, that's that's one of my favorite poets, Bosia. Um, he... Uh, he was an influence to me, not only just like in writing, but uh, I ended up finding out about um, the People's Improv Theater because he invited me to his Aspen Comedy Festival one-man show, which was at the People's Improv Theater, and I went there. This was before I ever even studied like improv or anything like that, and when I found out about the place, I was like, oh man, I think I want to, um, I think I want to go here. So Bosia had a huge influence on me, and he is one of um, definitely one of my favorite poets. So there, I spent a bunch of time uh, trying to remember a poem and then not being able to remember it, and then remembering I had a book of it in his book. Uh, called, he has a book called The Undisputed Greatest Writer of All Time, which is a great title for a book. All right, anyway, let's go on to... Um, uh, Adam and Chains has another suggestion. He says, Mole Liker's paper on homosexual necrophiliac mallard ducks. Um, well, listen, I don't know. I didn't realize. I obviously knew that mallard ducks were homosexual. Like, you know, I think that there are some very um, dandy and dapper and, you know, it's like they really, it's like, I, I don't want to stereotype, but I could tell. But necrophiliac, I had no idea about. But you know what? Listen. That sounds cool also. So what else is new? Here we go. Um, next suggestion is um, the the um, uh, uh, Renegade Mage, um, which is uh, a friend of the show. He asked about the subway shooting. The subway shooting uh, happened in in uh, New York City. I don't remember if you guys follow New York City stuff, but uh, it's it's um, there was a there was a guy who tried to really get shit popping in New York City, like old school, uh, making people scared of the city. It's been a long time since uh since 911 which is the thing that I think about when I think about the city being a place that I don't want to be caught in um when I was younger like I w- I worked in the city I used to work in the city and um I worked in the city like through 911 on the day of the whole thing um it just it's like when you recall this it just sounds like legend now, but, you know, it was a real thing that happened, and 
um, was psychologically uh, transformative. Because when I was working, like I went, I remember going into the city on that day and it was probably 8.46, I was on the train, right passing like about to go under the uh, East River so you could see the city on the other side. And I remember seeing the uh, the Twin Towers. They had just been hit, and they looked like two cigarettes, like smoking. And then by the time we got out of the subway on the day of, um, you know, there were people crowded around, uh, like, the Wiz or you know, the tower records where they would have TVs in the windows, because remember this was 2001. Like there were, it was different type of stores were still, (laughs) it was just a different, different type of stores and shit. And, um, and yeah, like, you know, the whole like escaping from New York city and like sitting, like, well, I went to my office and then we, we all like set up pods where we would all like go and try to go somewhere. And I remember we were all a bunch of people more than just me, all sitting on the steps of Penn Station because they were it was closed at that point. And then the whole entire group of people that we were all with all the got the shudder of fear that what if the um what if Penn Station blows up right now? Like that was a, a genuine fear that just arose because on that day two buildings just got blown up. So like the fear was just um ping-ponging around and we ended up like uh the few people i was with ended up getting in the back of a a pickup truck some random person just we got in the back of the pickup truck and we went across to queens and then there was like a another business that some people knew and then we like sort of figured out it was just a lot of figuring out how to get from one place to the next and uh it was wild and then in the year and a half after that like it was just this whole vibe of being afraid of shit like this that happened, being afraid of dirty bombs, being afraid of people like doing a pipe bomb or whatever. And nothing happened, but that didn't take away the 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 tangible anxiety that colored everything. Also, this is a thing that nobody seems to know about or remember, but every every day from after 9-11 until like 2004, you would see plastered on every every surface, you would see thousands of like homemade photocopied photos of loved ones and being like, missing, my brother, last seen in the Twin Towers, missing, my sister, my cousin, you know, and all these family members and all the people who were like buried under rubble were um you know the family members the people who survived were putting up posters of them everywhere i mean everywhere by the armory on 24th street like fucking walking out of walking out of penn station on every surface so that there would be sheets of like a fucking quilt of people that were dead and you know, contact numbers to hopefully they would be found. So the um, the subway shooting thing just reminded me, because what happened was I used to work in the city, but after that whole shit, I was like, I don't want to... Like, it, it was like, a, basically, the thing about living in the city is if you live in the city, you cannot get out of the city. You have to... It, it, it's like you're an hour and a half of getting out of the city... If you're in the city, except if you leave at like three in the morning, like if you leave in the afternoon, you're stuck on some belt parkway or some fucking LIE or whatever. You're stuck and you're going to be stuck for at least an hour and a half getting out. And I am a person that likes to have the beach near me. I like to have I like to be able to go into a forest. I like to be able to go and be apart from the cacophony of the city. I do not base my identity on the proximity to the city. So, you know, after that whole shit, after my in li- living in through like during that time, I was just like, you know what? I don't I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't want to be in a situation I don't like feeling that shit. So, you know, I don't um 
I remember like like especially like the the like the early 2000s like that was like where the big influx of like what you would call like hipsters like rich rich kids sort of moving to the city and um you know going there and like living their lives but like I I always felt just like some type of status like you know you move from Wisconsin to Manhattan so that you can have or not even Manhattan Brooklyn so that you have like you know the clout of saying that you live in Brooklyn or something like that um I mean and yes it's like you're you're like around a lot of great culture like what you what it is it's like this wonderful culture but it's also like I don't know I don't know I've always been like a person that didn't not didn't really want to like um you know, I feel like it's like if if everybody's doing it, then all, all of us, then that means I don't want to do it, and that's been my downfall. But anyway, that's that's not that's doesn't has nothing to do with this subway shooting, which just is a thing that that it's it makes you feel like ugh, you know, wrong place at the wrong time, and jammed up together with a zillion people, and whoever could help out the situation is not there, and um, it's just like. That's one of the things about the city, like regardless of the shooting or whatever, like there's a lot of things that are that are shitty about it. And you almost wonder, like, what the sacrifice means. Like you can pass streets upon streets of multi-million dollar apartments, the type of apartments that you or I will never have because we don't generate the amount of wealth to have. But on those very streets there will be human shit smeared across the sidewalk. It's just a fucking dichotomy that is part of the reality of the city. Now, it's like, for the, I'm, I am happy when I see that. I'm like, yes, you, you know, you wealthy motherfuckers still have to walk on these human shit smeared streets like I do. Like, you can, you can only escape it at your gate and then you're out here in the shit with everything else. So, you know, Manhattan, New York City is crazy. Um, what do you, what can you say? All right. Um, I think that I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna wrap it up. I uh, I'm going to Los Angeles on Wednesday. Um, I have. There's there there's really um. I have a lot of hope. I have a lot of hope for for the possibility of uh, of something good. And everyone has um, dreamed along with me uh, to this point. Uh, three years ago, there was no such thing as grading animals, um, and now here we are. Here I am, and uh, I'm very happy and grateful. So thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, sticking with me, and. Uh, I'm going to do my best to uh, bring like positive energy and uh, my best to the next week. And I'm probably going to do an episode there. So talk to you soon.